0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Simon Yagers. Welcome back Simon. Hi James, thank you very much for hosting me again. It's great to have you back. You know, everyone's always interested in the technology side, how technology helps um, every aspect of our business, whether it's maintaining equipment, driving productivity. What we're going to talk a little bit about today is the other aspect of that, which is the sustainability side, energy efficiency. Yeah. Very good to have you on. Although super brief, can you give us an introduction to yourself, your organization, what you do, all those great things? Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm one of the founders of uh, Somotics. We are an industrial analytics company which essentially means that we uh, help our clients to uh, improve reliability, improve sustainability, particularly of their uh, rotating equipment. So uh, AC motors, pumps, fans, conveyors, you know, the workhorses, I suppose, of uh, today's economy. Uh, And we are based in Leiden, the Netherlands, but we serve clients across the globe in petrochemical industries, water and wastewater, uh, pulp and paper, Uh, you know, heavy industries where they operate many of those type of assets.
0: All right. Excellent. And like I said, we've had you on multiple times, so I'll make sure to link back to those past episodes. so People can quickly find it, but we're going to take a different spin on it today. We're going to talk about some of the other considerations we have within industry, and that's energy efficiency, sustainability. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, we're probably not as energy efficient as we need to be, In most facilities. Would you agree? Yes, I think there's an opportunity to do better. All right, so why is energy efficient so important for organizations?
1: Well, I think, you know, to to me climate change really is, is the defining challenge of our generation, right? And temperatures continue to rise. There's consensus among scientists about it um, near hundred percent consensus about that the fact that there is global warming, and also that if it exceeds, let's say, three degrees uh, Celsius, then we're we're basically in for uh, lots of challenges when it comes to the ecology, with it comes to nature, with droughts, with food. So. We really need to work together on multiple fronts to make sure that we that we achieve those um, sustainability goals. Because if we don't, it's us that will be screwed. Can I say screwed? Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, it, it's going to be us, right? The Earth will be fine, but we will be we will not be. So you know, we need to start focusing on shifting from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources. Uh, We need to mitigate effects of CO2 emissions. But we also need to start using energy more efficiently, reduce energy consumption and use AC motors more efficiently.
0: All right. Excellent. I couldn't agree more. Whether we're improperly sizing motors, whether we have old motors that are not very efficient versus new ones that are more efficient, how we're controlling those. All very very important pieces to just one part of this energy efficiency conversation. Yeah. Now, what can we do to address those these problems with energy efficiency? Well, I think you know there's obviously an awful lot of ways
1: we can we can mitigate or or we can address the problem. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, reducing energy consumption, shifting to renewable energy sources. Uh, mitigating the effects, uh, things like carbon capture technologies, but I think it really starts with uh, limiting energy use uh, for perhaps for two reasons. Uh, so if we are able to reduce energy consumption, we also reduce the problems we have uh, in in the other fields. Right? If we re- use less energy, there's uh, we need to make less energy. If we use less energy, cre- we create less CO2, so that also reduces the, the carbon capture technology needs and those kind of things. So on the one hand, it's about really about uh, because we, uh, it is sort of a catalyst for other processes if we reduce energy use. The second part really is that if we reduce energy consumption, most technologies to do that effectively uh, are already available. Uh, and are typically somewhat lower costs than other alternatives here. Um, And if we also understand that across the globe, around a third of energy used is used by industry, and that within industry, uh, AC motors, powering pumps, fans, conveyors, and more, uh, are likely responsible for 70 to 80% of electrical energy use within a production site, then it really makes sense to start to focus on using energy more efficiently, particularly when it comes to electrical uh, motors, uh, pumps, fans, conveyors, and more. Uh, so that's really where we can start, improve the efficiency of those rotating assets.
0: Absolutely. And it was interesting. I read an article this weekend, and this article was talking about energy efficiency And some of the things that can be done to help with energy efficiency. And there was one piece in that article um, that really stood out. And they were talking about how proper layout of piping can reduce all the friction losses in all that piping and dramatically reduce the size and capacity required out of these pumps to a magnitude of like 97%. Yeah. If they're properly laid out. Yeah. Yeah. So not only is it looking at just the motors itself, but what are they doing in the process? How can we better optimize piping runs, piping layout? Cause then now we got, can run smaller motors. Now we can be even more, to your point, limiting the amount of energy we need to do those accomplish those things. Yeah. So I think it's a holistic approach that we need to take. And this is one part of that larger picture. Absolutely, yeah. Now you mentioned that you know 70-80% of the energy in our facility is typically used for powering pumps, fans, motors, rotating equipment. Yeah. How are motors wasting this energy?
1: When we look at our own data, first of all, we see that a typical piece of rotating equipment, uh, let's say a pump, is can be can be 20 to 40% more energy efficiently, right? So it is it is significant, the energy savings potential. And that is because um, in most cases, we see, see three things contributing to energy losses. Um, they waste energy when they fail. Uh, for instance, if you have a bearing problem, your motor will run with that bearing problem for months on end before it comes to a halt, right? So if you let it run with that mechanical problem, it will waste energy all the while until you um, solve the issue. So um, mechanical or electrical issues contribute to energy losses. And the, the, the way to do that is to detect them early. Another way to look at it is to look at uh, how they're being used. Sometimes inefficiently, uh, and I think a, a great example of that is a conveyor system that is um, that is uh, moving, uh, typically moving, you know, product across a production line that is not loaded, that is not moving any product, but is still running. Right. So detecting that your conveyor is running without moving a load is another example of how sometimes assets are being used inefficiently. Um, and a third reason for energy losses is over undersizing. I uh, think for instance of a, a, a motor is typically most efficient at 70 to 80 percent load. If you go higher it will become somewhat less efficient. If you go lower, that same thing happens. If you go below, let's say, 35 to 40% load, it becomes massively inefficient in turning electrical energy into mechanical movement, so to speak. So, failures, inefficient use, and over undersizing all contribute to energy
0: losses that can be remedied. Yeah, and a lot of these are fairly simple. I remember I was at a distribution facility and they had and they spent quite a bit of time doing it from a controls perspective, but they had it set up where if a conveyor wasn't seeing product within two minutes, it would shut it down. Yeah, And then it would turn on based on the photo eye upstream of it, seeing product coming, then it would turn on and then it would idle for a period of time and then it would automatically shut itself off. And then they had a master that would shut everything off in that area over and above. That way, if anything occurred where someone didn't hit, hit that uh, master off switch in that area, logic would turn everything off after a certain period of time. Yeah, huge, huge energy savings. We didn't add any additional equipment. We added some logic in the program. And and I think those are great examples where you you
1: basically take a very simple measure, uh, which is to include that logic. You do it once and it will continue to save energy across the lifetime without compromising on output. And that's the thing, right? It's around looking for solutions to... to uh, create win-win situations
0: um, yeah and you know over and undersizing pumps mechanical issues lubrication issues all those things just massive consumers yeah so what do we do about all these energy wasting assets well I think you know on a high level it's really starts with uh, understanding where
1: energy is used on an asset level right so um, we typically monitor energy consumption perhaps on a a site level or on a uh, production system level, but it really are the individual assets on the shop floor that consume energy. So if we want to take um, mitigating um, actions against energy waste, it really starts by monitoring energy consumption, uh, energy uh, and performance uh, of the same assets. Um, And so that gives you sort of a high-level insight as to where you probably can save energy. High consumers, probably a lot more energy can be saved on those, right? Um, So it starts by understanding where you're consuming energy. You also probably want to understand how energy is wasted. Is there a failure? Do I, you know, is there an issue with the bearings? Is there an issue with, for instance, cavitation? Um, Are your assets being used inefficiently? Are they over or undersized? Um, So we then have an understanding of what's at stake, an understanding of what needs to be done. uh, And we can really focus then on um, creating this insight where I can save energy, how I can save energy, and what I need to do to actually uh, effectively do that. Uh, And it turns out that electrical signature analysis really is an excellent tool to do this um because if you look for instance at centrifugal pumps right um and in an electrical signature analysis system what it actually does is it measures high frequency current and voltage sine waves and I think that's great because the key to unlocking energy savings is looking at the electrical patterns or by extension current and voltage sine waves so, For instance, if you operate a a centrifugal pump, um, the first thing you probably want to do is make sure that it keeps on running. Uh, And so, for instance, um, if you have um, a mechanical problem in your pump, you want to detect that early. Uh, Think of, for instance, a piece of the impeller breaking off. Um, What it will actually do is uh, the pump will start to shake somewhat differently than when it's uh, operating in a healthy mode, right? There's a bit of unbalance manifesting in that pump because of that piece of the impeller breaking off. Now that vibration that is a result of that failure will travel from the shaft of the pump through the coupling to the shaft of the motor and at the motor It will disturb the air gap in the magnetic field between the static part and the rotating part which leads to a ripple effect on your sine wave. So by measuring those ripples and analyzing them you can find out that there is a problem. Based on how these uh, ripples manifest you can understand what the problem is and you can estimate the remaining useful lifetime. So For that first category of energy wasters, mechanical or electrical failures, you look at ripple effects in the sine waves of the electrical signal of current and voltage. Um, The second category I mentioned earlier is uh, how that assets are sometimes used inefficiently. So if you look at that same centrifugal pump, um, you probably want to understand how it operates relative to the best efficiency point. Because in a best efficiency point is that sort of that relationship between pressure and flow for which the pump is designed to operate. And if you operate it close to that best efficiency point it is most energy efficiently. Now for that pump, you, if you have the pump curve, then you can calculate purely from um, uh, current and voltage data how that pump operates relative to the best efficiency point. So it gives you real-time insights as to how energy-efficiently your pump is turning electrical energy into moving fluid, if you will. Um, Uh, And that third element then, for instance, if you look at uh, over-undersizing, comes from that same data. If you monitor that pump for an extended period of time, you will learn to understand what the maximum uh, sort of required power is and the lowest uh, required power. And you can really start to understand, is this the right size pump? Is this the right size motor? Are they working together efficiently? So um, that's really how I think that you should start to look at this, is to measure high-frequency electrical signals to address these three problems. Um, um, Equipment health, uh, how they are used efficiently, and are they over-undersized? All coming from that electrical signal.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Iridisio. Be sure to check out Iridisio.com for a free copy of their ebook a smarter way of preventative maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.irridescio.com. All right, excellent. So if we're monitoring the electrical signal, we can identify a variety of things. Electrical, mechanical issues. If we have process-related issues such as You know, we're not operating at the best efficiency point of the pump. We may identify other issues potentially because now we're getting excess pressure, excess loading on our pumps. We'd probably be able to pick up that. Yeah. This all gives us insight to, are we operating this equipment at the best possible way or best possible efficiency point? Yeah. Now. Do you have to baseline this data to understand where we are currently and then you see changes or based on some parameters like horsepower, frame, voltage, all this other stuff, we have an idea of what that should be and then we're measuring against that? Yes and no. Uh, so <laughs> let me make that a little bit more clear. So most of the
1: energy efficiency metrics um, and, and the performance metrics are, are simple calculations, right? So they are meaningful, especially in the context of how that asset is supposed to operate. You don't really need a baseline for it. For condition monitoring purposes, you do need a baseline. So what you typically do is you install such a system uh, and depending on the number of running hours uh, and the uh, variation in load and speed, you set a baseline in two to four weeks. Uh, If you have more running hours, you have more opportunity to learn to set that baseline. If you have more variety in process, in loads and speeds, there's a need to learn a bit more. But by and large, two to four weeks and you're good to go.
0: All right, excellent. Can you give our audience an example of how this is being used on a day-to-day basis within industries? Um, You don't have to mention any specific client names or anything, but how it's being used? Yeah, sure.
1: So uh, for instance, uh, an Oil & Gas Major, Uh, We're monitoring um, a loads of assets for them. And then every month uh, we send out a report with the highest energy consumers with assets that have, you know, based on the data, the biggest opportunities to save energy. And uh, as it turned out, uh, there was a cooling pump station where uh, two very large pumps were responsible for providing cooling water for the process uh, downstream, so to speak. Right, and based on the data, and after about a year of monitoring, we had a good understanding of what the requirements were for that pump across uh, many scenarios. Uh, in particular, obviously, in 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 um, uh, let's say seasonal uh, elements, right? Perhaps in summer you need a bit more cooling water than in winter, and so on. Um, so. Uh, based on the information, we could see that in an ideal scenario, um, it makes sense to have two smaller pumps, um, because even in the in the most demanding scenario, those two pumps working together would facilitate, uh, or would uh, you know, supply the cooling water necessary for the process to uh, to uh, to continue, so to speak. Um, So then you use sort of this insight, hey, there's lots of opportunity here to save energy. You also use the data to look at uh, typical requirements for that um, uh, pumping station. And based on domain knowledge, expert knowledge and knowledge about pumps in general, you can suggest, all right, let's take these two very large pumps and install Two smaller ones. And in the process, we can, from our data, we understand that you can save as much energy as more than 25 single family households consume in a year to make it a little bit more tangible, right? So that's a lot of energy you can save without compromising the output of the process. Um, But then reality kicks in. So that's the second part. The first part is really understanding what the challenge is, what the potential is and what the costs are to remedy the situation. But it turns out in this particular case that that replacing the pumps also meant lots of investment in the skid and those kind of things. So an alternative was found which was to hydraulically re-rate those pumps, basically making some changes to the impeller where you will catch 80% of the benefits at, let's say, 20% of the costs. And what I like about this approach is that data shows you what the potential is. It shows you what the benefits are in terms of the solution. But sometimes you have to combine data with domain knowledge and common sense and say, all right, you know, the investment in the ideal situation um, is simply too high for us to accept at this point in time. What will happen if we go for scenario B? And then you use the data to calculate scenario B, execute, and you can still save massively without the high upfront investment.
0: Yep. That is a significant amount of savings. One pump, 25 homes. Yeah. Now, let's try one pump of 500 at that site. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get that bang out of all those pumps on site, but it gives you an order of magnitude of how much is wasted out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, the, the
1: the benefits, um, we tend to focus on on the largest benefits, right? It, it's, you're absolutely right that you will not get the same bang for your buck on all of those pumps. But it does show you that it really makes sense to scrutinize where you can save energy. Because in this case... Um, the, the, the ROI on such an investment on hydraulically rerouting that pump is simply massive, not just for the environment, which is important, but also for the CFO. And those are typically the best projects where both the environment and the financial
0: teams uh, smile at the end of the project. Absolutely. So as, as we continue to get more insights from the technology and as this technology evolves, what are we expecting to see in the future? Are we gonna get much more specific on energy saving opportunities? You know, what do we see?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, if you open up the annual report of, you know, let's say the top 10 largest companies in the world, I bet that on page one, there is a CEO that says that they want to reduce their, you know, uh, uh, carbon footprint, that they focus on becoming more sustainable. And that's, I mean, rightfully so. Um, so what we'll continue to see is investments in technologies that help us to become more sustainable, that be, that help us to become more energy efficient. And it, the most focus has been on the big systems, so systems with a capital S. How we make energy that shift from um, from from t- towards um, sustainable. Uh, renewable energy sources right so so that is will continue to go on i would suggest that on the shop floor level again where all of those assets operate that ultimately consume the energies we'll see investments in monitoring technologies moving forward Um, i think um well, maybe maybe one thing to mention here as well is that these, these uh, energy savings measures, they really add up. Um, our friends from ABB, for instance, calculated that if we invest in these technologies, if we combine upgrading older motors to newer IE4, IE5 models... If we install variable speed drives where possible and where they, you know, where they lead to more efficient uh, assets, then uh, then the combined impact is uh, turns out to be up to ten percent of global electricity uh, consumption. So it really um, has an impact if we focus on this domain. Now. Um, I think that domain is um, seeing integration as a as a next step. Um, on the software side, we're seeing that these insights are being integrated into backend systems. Uh, it becomes easier to extract data from various sources. It becomes easier to turn that data into information about where and how you can save energy. On, I would say also on a hardware level, what we're seeing is that um, the algorithms to produce the information uh, are being integrated into things like variable speed drives and into soft starters and into all those hardware assets that in some shape or form measure current and voltage. So it's around software integration, it's around hardware integration. And I think that what this does is it makes these type of technologies much more accessible Uh, meaning that they will be implemented on a much larger scale. So what we also will see moving forward is that the focus will shift from monitoring individual assets, which has this massive 10% impact on global electricity, to raising one step above that is to on the production system level. Um, If you can imagine a scenario where you monitor not just a single pump as part of a system, but that entire system, what you can then start to do is start to automate things, right? Today, um, I would advise against too much automation in production systems. Reason for that is that automation and certainly uh, autonomous automation uh, typically lacks all the nuances of a production system. They miss the context, right? So, if you decide that, um, for instance, a conveyor system uh, would operate somewhat slower, it would be more energy efficient, then that would be true perhaps for that conveyor, but it will lead to perhaps quality issues in other fields, right? So, that unintended consequence part is something that we need to account for. But I think in the future, we'll see better digital twins. Uh, We'll see much more data providing a much more holistic viewpoint. And ultimately, what I think that will happen in the future is that an algorithm (coughs) will calculate the the most sustainable way to produce a desired outcome in terms of quality, in terms of qualities, uh, and that... That system will auto adjust for these circumstances, optimizing for quality, optimizing for qualities and sustainability as well. So integration, then automation.
0: We're not there yet, but I think we're, we're getting closer every day that we work in this field. All right. Excellent. So we're going to see a significant change I foresee in the next three to five years on how we manage energy of our assets and not just our assets, but our systems as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Now, like you said, a lot of this is working with other technologies as well as companies look to optimize and set up digital twins. Yeah, That might also mimic how we run our product. Yeah. How we optimize energy based on the product mix that we're running all these different inputs we can have in these models and predict what is the best way to operate this equipment. Yeah. So, yeah. Gives us some very great insights. Combine that with some condition monitoring data or some maintenance data in the background, it'll really give us some insights on what we should or should not be doing. Yeah. And I think, but
1: maybe one thing that I want to add to that, which is I always find it fascinating how Toyota looks at technology. Um, and, and, um, so you had this notion of, of lights out factories, right, where Tesla said in 2018, I want to produce Model S car or Model 3 cars without human intervention. And about a year later or so, they they had to cancel that lights out sort of notion. They had to shift more towards a Toyota way of looking at technologies. Uh, and what Toyota does is they say, we implement technologies not to replace humans, but to augment our capabilities. So across all of these technology implementations, what I find very interesting is how we implement technologies to help people to work better, safer, and smarter. And I think that's the same true for all these sustainability technologies, all these condition monitoring technologies. And the best results come from empowering people to make better decisions. So that's why I caution against automa- oh, too much automation, because the, the supercomputer uh, above our shoulders, uh, combined with expert knowledge, combined with, um, you know, simple experience, is probably the most powerful tool out there, and that's an interesting field.
0: Absolutely. Well, Simon, I want to thank you for taking the time to provide some insights to energy efficiency, how we can tackle some of those challenges with electrical signature analysis and monitoring our electrical assets. Uh, definitely provide some other insights that people may not have been thinking of. Right, You think of monitoring electrical signature signatures with um, condition-based maintenance, identifying mechanical defects, but maybe don't have that linkage to how we become more sustainable as well. So. Definitely want to thank you for providing that insight. Where can people find out more about you, the technologies, all those great things that you guys have going on?
1: Well, we're online. Our website is uh, samotics.com. So S-A-M-O-T-I-C-S dot com. Uh, we're quite active on LinkedIn, uh, on, our, on our company page, where we share cases, where we share uh, client stories and those kind of things. Uh, and people are always welcome to, uh, to send me a note. I love to talk about technology. Um, so, uh, you know, just email me, Simon Jagers, Simon, uh, S-I-M-O-N-J-A-G-E-R-S at somatics.com.
0: All right. Excellent. I will include links to all those in the show notes, as well as your past episodes. so People can easily find you and get in touch with you. Thank you very much. I want, want to thank you once again for taking the time today. I truly appreciate it. I truly appreciate you
1: for asking me back, James. I hope we can do this some other
0: time. Absolutely. All right. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iradicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted and Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.